welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money morphosis.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome. This is Crystal Arnold, your hostess of the Money Wise Women Show and founder of Money Morphosis. I am so ready for a new story of wealth and value and success in the changing world. And I believe it is crucial that we examine our language and our beliefs and how those inform our behavior, not only around money, but around relating to each other and caring for one another. And that's why I'm passionate about creating an economy that uh, really regenerates people and planets and where we can have greater authority to author our own lives and see how they are intimately connected with the web of humanity and our living ecosystem of planet Earth. And so I believe that it is crucial to redefine um, some of these these ideas about who we are and what our purpose is and and what makes life meaningful. And so uh, this is why I have brought our guest on today. Um, Dr. Jennifer Brody is uh, a PhD, has a PhD and is an associate professor of comparative literature and media studies at Bard College at Simons Rock. She has a special interest in writing for social and environmental justice, leadership, and public speaking. Her memoir is called What I Forgot and Why I Remembered, A Journey to Environmental Awareness and Activism Through Purposeful Memoir. And uh, it was one of six finalists in the 2018 International Book Awards in the Autobiography Memoir category. Uh, She also has a writer's guide called The Elemental Journey of a Purposeful Memoir, a writer's companion, and this won a 2017 Nautilus Silver Award. And now, because of her immense love of writing, she is working on another book, World Writes, W-R-I-G-H-T, Lessons on Life and Leadership from the Purposeful Memoirs of 15 Activists Writing to Write the World. So she offers author coaching, consulting on people wanting to write a purposeful memoir, and also has a self-paced online course. And you can find out all about that at jenniferbrody.com. That's B-R-O-W-D-Y, and you'll see the link in the uh, blog post below if you're also um, on the Money Morphosis page. So she runs, as well, a small publishing company, Greenfire Press, and that can be found at greenfirepress.com. And so excited, Jennifer, to have you share your love of 
story and writing and its significance uh, for people who care about the earth and and uh, creating a more just and um, equitable society. So I'd love to begin just by hearing from you. What do you find most exciting about the work that you do? Well, I love to um, lead people down memory lane. So I, I do a lot of um, community workshops and purposeful memoir these days all over the country, really, and, and even up in Canada where I spend the summers. And, um, you know, everybody has a story to tell, and everybody's story matters. So a lot of my work over the past, I don't know, 20 years has really been about cultivating and nourishing the stories of others, and I'm especially interested in women's stories because I think more women's stories need to be told. So that's what I find exciting. Mm, absolutely agree. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm curious, why, why do you feel storytelling is, is so significant? And, and why are we such creatures of, of story and myth? And why is this important? Well, I, you know, when I did my doctorate, I chose literature um, because I love stories. And, you know, human beings learn best through story. We can see all the statistics in the world, but they don't add up to as much power as one beautiful story well told, right? So, um, and we all are natural storytellers. Every little kid can tell a story, you know? So I have been in the um, education industry my whole life, and um Part of what I've had to do is is um, work hard to to maintain my own storytelling voice. And when I got into uh, writing my memoir, I think that was a big part of why I needed to write a memoir was because I needed to remember my own authentic storytelling voice. And so I think a lot of us need that. You know, we we lose it somehow as we are socially conditioned as adults. We certainly lose our confidence. Right, right. And and it used to be such a natural part of, of the tribal life was the oral traditions and uh, and storytelling. Mm-hmm. I, I still remember in high school reading history, um, A People's History by Howard Zinn, and uh, how formative mm-hmm. that was to hear those um, less heard voices of women and minorities. And could you talk a little bit about um, the, yeah, the importance of bringing forth uh, those less heard voices? Yeah. Well, my, my first uh, two books were actually um, anthologies that I edited, Women Writing Resistance in Latin America and the Caribbean and Women Writing Resistance in Africa. And the impetus behind both of those books was all about getting um, the stories of women who might not otherwise be heard into classrooms and um, living rooms. So um, we, especially in our um, in our media climate, where the loudest voices dominate, right? Um, I think it's important to listen more closely for other voices. And, um, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of ageism as well. I mean, I'm, because I'm, maybe because I'm offering and teaching memoir, 
I'm listening for older women's stories, you know, which you don't often hear in the media, the mainstream media, um, or people with, with um, different backgrounds, different, different politics, different points of view. Um, and I really think it's important to cultivate not just um, telling those stories, but also listening to them and really trying to engage in a dialogue. Mm, yes. I've found, uh, you know, for over a decade now, I've been listening to people's money stories in my workshops and, and uh, private coaching and just uh, see how much uh, suffering there is in, in people's economic life and, and relationship to money and, and how much shame there is for, for even sharing that story. And there's so much taboo around uh, talking about money and, and a lot of, you know, guilt and fear that really keeps people from from being authentic and transparent and you know I've found um, yeah just it's very powerful to to speak to some of those more tender uh, private stories about money and I'm curious uh, Mm -hmm. what your thoughts are about that one of the impetus one, one of the reasons that I started writing my own memoir was to interrogate um my privilege, actually. Um, so I had spent a lot of time uh, studying stories by women who came from underprivileged backgrounds or, you know, very marginalized, even um, oppressed backgrounds in Latin America, the Caribbean, Africa, North America. And um, after a while, I, I realized it was really important to look at, at who was doing the oppressing, you know, look at the other side of the coin. And that took me to um, thinking about privilege and what makes it possible for, for some people to, you know, blithely enjoy their privilege while others are suffering. What, how, how does that happen? And then once I asked that question, I had to look at my own experience and, um, there was a lot of shame for me around growing up with privilege I mean, I really didn't want to talk about that. I didn't want to acknowledge it or admit it. So um, for me, actually, the the kind of risky thing about writing my memoir, one of the risky things was coming clean about how and where I grew up. I don't know if you ever get that that experience with, with your workshops. Yeah, absolutely. I I find that there's um shame no matter what the um what the economic situation is um for people with little money or a lot of money. Um what, can you tell me what changed through that process of of speaking about your privilege and class and laying it out there? Well, it made me feel better. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't um I was uncomfortable with not being able to be um, honest with people. I mean, really, really wanting to downplay um, my background and in a way that didn't feel good to me because actually I had a wonderful childhood. You know, I had a very loving childhood and, and um, there was a lot of joy and beauty that uh, I wanted to share and um, to sort of say, well, this is the kind of childhood that I wish everybody could have. You know, and and um, so to put the question became, um, okay, so I have privilege and I have had privilege. What do I do with it? What do I want to do with it? And am I proud of how I have been using the gifts that I've been given? You know, and once I framed the question that way, 
I felt better about it. Hmm. Wow, thanks for sharing that. Uh, It really helps, I've found, for people to hear other people's money stories and and how they go through challenges and and different situations and uh, and really realize that we're we're not alone in it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really great to, uh, to let money be something that connects us instead of keeps us divided, because I feel like that class shame, uh, really does, um, uh, let oppression continue because there is, um, so much, uh, uh, withholding and, and projection of other people in different class status. And honestly, you know, Jennifer, I see like this, there, the Me Too movement was exposing this taboo of sexual domination and, um, uh, violence against people. And, and I see another Me Too movement could involve, uh, money and people speaking more off openly about, um, their, their struggles and, and class and some of those very taboo topics. Mm, that would be interesting. <laughs> you know, right. I don't, <laughs> the Me Too movement has, um, you know, it's, it's about how people have suffered at each other's hands. I don't know if there's a comparison to be made with money. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I see where, you know, money can be used often as power over a lot of those Me Too stories Mm -hmm. often had some hierarchy of someone with money and privilege, you know, dominating someone else um, and using that power. So and and then the extractive economy is, is designed to consolidate wealth and and the way that that we are seeing um the impacts of really a story of scarcity maybe we could um also talk about that some of the cultural stories of not enough and scarcity and and how you see that um in all the people you've interviewed and and memoirs certainly in this in this uh holiday season we're feeling that drive to consume and to purchase and to buy. And um, it's very interesting this, this year how at the same time we're, we're getting all this news about the climate, right, and how um, the pumping up of the consumer market engine is destroying the climate. So I think we're at a point where we're getting mixed signals, actually, and more people are starting to pay attention and to to understand that um you know the harms the consumerism is unleashing on all of us so i i don't know i i um that is the kind of work that i want to get into with people but um i find it's hard sometimes to find the right opening yeah you know? i'm i'm still working towards it yes Right, that opening to uh, you know such such feelings of grief. Um, when I did the workshop with Joe Brewer, our our mutual friend, um, uh, this summer on managing planetary collapse, a lot of it was that grief of acknowledging the collapse of ecosystems, of species, dead zones in the oceans, all these layers of 
of collapse that are, um, you know, hard, hard for our minds to even wrap around and, and that feeling of responsibility too, right? Like, oh, we're participating in this system and this economy, which is consuming the earth and its resources in this unhealthy way. So it, it, you're right. There is like, how, how do we find that openness to, to explore the grief and, and the sorrow about climate change? Grief, sorrow, and guilt at our own complicity in in making it happen, and that's you know that's where I'm trying to um, get people to think about aligning the personal, planetary, and political because um, you know each one of our personal choices has these ripples that move out into the world, and um, we have been doing that with you know unconsciously and often unintentionally since we were children. So thinking about um, how we grew up and what values we absorbed from our culture, our family, and um, whether those values are actually, you know, what we believe, that's that's the memoir work that I'm trying to do. And it's it's kind of paradoxically looking back in order to look forward and develop a vision of where we want to go and who we want to be. And I'm trying, really a lot of my work is about... Um, trying to find a positive way forward. So, you know, when you talk about, the minute you mention planetary collapse, I think a lot of people start to panic and shut down. And uh, so I don't, I don't usually use that term when I'm, when I'm talking with people. I, I talk about the future you want to live into and how do, you, how do you build a bridge towards that future and what can you do today and maybe in a very small way to, make, to take a step in that direction. So it's more uh, along the lines of Charles Eisenstein's The More Beautiful World We Know Is Possible. How can we move towards it? That's what I'm trying to get people to think about. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I've been a big fan of Charles for a while now and Mm -hmm. and love what he's uh, speaking to and look forward to reading his uh, newest book around climate change. Um, It's good. uh, Nice. You've checked it out. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow, uh, so no, he, tell me some more about ahead. this uh you know when, when, what your process is for working with people around their memoirs. It's so fascinating to me what you were just sharing about, you know, aligning their core values and and their beliefs and it sounds like quite a transformative process. Yeah, it is. I mean, I I basically I did it for myself. And um, now I want to sort of do it with others. So um, I I looked to, for myself, but I, I looked back at my childhood, which, um, you know, I grew up really in the heart of empire. I grew up in Manhattan, New York. And, um, and I, I was very unaware of what was going on around me until... Um, sometime in my 20s, uh, I was looking for a dissertation topic, and I was just, just browsing in a bookstore, and I happened upon um, the testimonial of Rigoberta Menchu. I don't know if you're f- familiar with Rigoberta Menchu. Um, she is a Guatemalan Quiche Indian, and um, she, reading her book about what happened in, in um, Guatemala during the 
70s and early 80s um, where the U.S. really disrupted the entire economy there. I mean, the U.S. had already been a problem with banana plantations, right? But um, the the war that happened there and the tremendous violence, we're still feeling the repercussions of that now with, you know, why why is Central America such a mess? Why do we have people at our borders desperate to, to get away from that place? It's because of what happened in the 70s. So I, I just, when I read Rigoberta Manchu, all of a sudden I my eyes were open to um, having lived really unconsciously in in this naive way of supporting um, America and capitalism and, you know, the, the way things were and not realizing the damage it was causing. So, um, so I began to interrogate my, my memories in a different way. And, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with people in purposeful memoir, I'm often working with people of a certain age, right? People think about doing their memoirs as they get older. And so a lot of us have lived through the same history together. Um, and these 50, 60, 70 years on the planet have been, you know, tremendously important. I mean, um, everything's been speeded up in terms of what's happened politically, what's happened with the environment. So when we slow down and we start to think, well, what, you know, how, where was I as a child? Let's say that, um, I don't know, that, uh, that species were starting to, to that the, the sixth grade extinction was starting, you know. Um, how, how aware was I that um, pesticides were being spread all over the place and that uh, there was an insect apocalypse going on? Um, most of us, not at all, right? And um, a lot of people still are not very aware. But, but um, I think it's really interesting to look back at childhood, think about where we were then, and analyze that in relation to where we are now and what we what we know now and what our priorities are now um and then and then again think towards the future and you know with what we know now and with our under, deeper understanding of how our individual lives played out against this bigger social political environmental landscape how can we bring it all together and um really step more intentionally into the future that we would wish for our own children and grandchildren. Hmm. Yes. Just soaking that in, that call to deep reflection and um, and reflecting on on our life and and what really is most essential and most important and what are we willing to to take a stand for and be a voice for and I just imagine mm-hmm. that. That process, uh, you know, uh, takes a lot of courage. Hmm. It does. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, um, it's certainly still very much in process for me. I, I don't feel like I'm um, as courageous as I wish I was personally. But um, I think that's true of most of us. You know, we try. We we have to give ourselves credit for doing what we can and even showing up and just thinking about um, showing up for a memoir workshop and spending some time thinking about our past can be a really courageous move that in itself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
Yeah, especially in a world that's so externally based on, on uh, you know, performance and, and making more money and always being active and overscheduled kids and just it's it's a go, go, go kind of world. And, and to take that pause um, and, and really reflect on things and, and move from that place of deep knowing of ourselves uh, brings mm-hmm. greater power and, and purpose to our everyday life. I think so. I mean, I, I kind of have been calling it the inner work that's a necessary prelude to activism in the world. Like, I feel like a lot of people will sort of go full, full tilt at activism without having done that grounding work first, without having understood who they really are. And it's somehow it's it's just not anchored. It feels superficial to me. And so this this is contemplative work, but it's um, not divorced from the outside world at all. It, it leads that way. So yeah, mm. I think that, um, memoir work has a has a bad rap as being navel gazing, and um, I don't think of it that way. I think it's really um, the first step towards moving strongly out into the world. Mm. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Um, let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and we'll be back in about a minute to uh, to explore some more about the power of story and money, and uh, what what it means to to be engaged in a meaningful way in this world. So we'll be back in just a moment. Are you ready to enjoy greater financial freedom? Perhaps you're like Emily, a creative entrepreneur who wants to increase her income to provide for her family. Using the free video training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com, she learned the secrets to accessing hidden resources and creating lasting wealth. Emily learned a persuasive negotiation technique to bring in more money with her top clients. She boosted her credit score and opened new financial doors while reducing expenses. And she took specific steps to strengthen her existing relationships and create a safety net for her business. With the Discover Your True Wealth training, thousands of women have improved their bank balances and secured their family's future. With this free video course, you'll transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. Take charge of your financial situation with the training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Welcome back. We are here with Dr. Jennifer Brody talking about the importance of self-reflection, her work with uh, leading people through writing memoirs, and uh, the inspiration of uh, telling those stories that maybe. Uh, tender or vulnerable, but ultimately connect us. And and I feel like when when I hear really gripping, emotionally uh, um, expressive stories, uh, I I can really build greater compassion and and empathy for what what people have gone th- through. Um, and I'm I'm curious, you know, when 
when you're working with people, what oh, what kinds of things do they experience uh, differently going through uh, these writing experiences with you? Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing about purposeful memoir for me is that it doesn't necessarily have to do anything with actually publishing a memoir. <laughs> um, so it's not just for people who think of themselves as writers, and it's, it's not just for people who want to publish. It's a process or even a practice that um, is, is a, a journey that we take through our own past in order to understand ourselves better. Um, so uh, people share all kinds of stories with me. I mean, uh, there, are, there are people who are dealing with um, unresolved trauma of different kinds. I have a, um, you know, there are people who have legacies from their families that they're trying to process and understand. And one of the exercises I like to do has to do with um, thinking of your ancestral lineage as a chain that goes back into the past. And if I'm working with women, I ask women to think about their um, maternal lineage, you know, grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother, and um, to think about what has come down through that past that, that they value and appreciate and what has come down that maybe they want to jettison, that maybe this, they, they, want, they don't want to pass along on down through the ages. You know, in aligning the personal, political, and planetary, if we were to do an exercise like that, we might also start to think about um, years and places and you know, historical, the historical context of these generations and you know, what, we, what we carry down from particular historical times and places that our ancestors have lived. So the, that opens up the, the canvas quite a bit. And, you know, there's just so much to think about. It's really a fascinating process. Mm, I love that having our stories grounded in both place and that ancestral lineage and the history that lives in our DNA and and all mm-hmm. that support um, available from from those that, came before us and um it's it's really beautiful to to hear about that um i'm curious what you found like the difference of working with uh people in a group writing experience i just last week uh led a a writing workshop for for women here one afternoon at my home and we'll continue to do that uh monthly in the new year and uh yeah just just found there was it was great to have that support and hear other people's writing styles and and get inspired um and curious why you think group writing experience Experiences are valuable. Well, for, for that for that reason that you just said that um, we inspire each other and we give each other courage uh, through sharing. Um, and you know, it's so it's so interesting how people come to a group pretty sure that their story is um, unique, and then we find all kinds of connections with each other because we've all lived through um, the same historical time, at the very least. I mean, even if we're in different geographic areas, we're covering the same history in our lives. We've lived through, you know, we have common references. 
And it becomes um, really interesting to see how different people process different, uh, you know, world and national events, how how we're each affected. I don't know if you've found this, but I find that, um, at least here in, in New England, 9-11 is a touchstone for a lot of people. You know, what, what happened before and after that. In, in more recent history, that's been very important. Um, so, yeah, I, I think women in particular, we um, were really wonderful at listening and um, being nurturing for each other. So I really enjoy writing workshops for women in particular. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I've, I've also found, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, and many people listening um, may also be entrepreneurs, uh, how, how important it is to, to kind of have a captivating story uh, as, as part of your um, business. And curious if you have any advice to people who may want to kind of write their own brief um, story as it relates to their small business. Hmm. Um, I think you're right. It's really important because, um, like you were saying at the beginning, people respond best to each other's stories. And um, in in my own experience um often what i'll do with people is um a little inquiry around passion i was actually at the um international leadership association annual meeting a couple months ago and um i did a workshop there and it was connecting was on connecting childhood passions and loves to uh one's leadership today, you know, one's role today. And it was it was very interesting um, what people realized through that session. So in my own case, um, I was, and this was part of what I remembered in my, in my uh, memoir, I loved nature as a little girl. I was a nature girl, and I loved climbing trees, and I loved animals, and I just wanted to be outside all the time which was really difficult for me because I grew up in Manhattan, like I said. Um, And I realized that I had been socialized away from that connection to nature in my education process and my my long education through the PhD, right? And um, had kind of given it up. And the memoir process was really important for me in reconnecting to that that old and primary passion that I had that I really wanted to reactivate now because now what feels most important to me is um, working on behalf of the environment. So that was my little, my little story of connecting a childhood passion to what I want to do and be in the world now as a, as an adult. Um, So I I think that's a really interesting exercise to lead people on. And I think very often, if we look back into our childhood, we'll find ourselves remembering what it was that set us on fire, what what lit us up as little kids. And um, then we can think about, well, to what extent are we still, um, you know, feeding that passion? Or have we been starving it, you know, and how can we bring it back to life? Mm, thanks for that suggestion. <clears throat> mm. 
I see so much uh, potential for people to really um, express themselves more more fully and in in a world that is um, you know there's so much of the cookie cutter kind of um, information and and approaches out there some to really help understand what what makes each person unique um, Tell me some more about what uh, what you might suggest uh, for people who want to get more inspired, say, in a daily writing practice or prompts that you find ex- especially evocative or just uh, how to get those creative juices flowing. Mm. Well, I have my... my um my book, The Elemental Journey of Purposeful Memoir, is a writer's companion, and um, it's it's actually a month-by-month book of prompts. And um, I I was inspired to do that book because um, late in the process of writing my own memoir, I, I hit upon this framework, this elemental framework for organizing my, my own life experience. And it turns out that it's really useful for for others as well. So the elemental journey is um, earth being the childhood ground of our being, water being the um, representing the teenage and young adult years, so approximately age 13 to 23 or so, because that's the time when we enter the cultural stream and either like go with the flow or we start to look for our own tributaries, you know, swim off in another direction. Um, but a lot happens in those, in those teenage and young adult years. So I, I use water to represent those. Um, fire is all about passion, and that can turn up at any stage of life. Um, for me, it was uh, fire also can represent trials and tribulations, you know, the challenges that we all face. So, and again, those can come in at any time of life. Um, and then air, for me, ran throughout. So air is the, the commentary that we all always have on our lives. We're, we're constantly talking to ourselves, right, and, and commenting on our experience, whether it's, you know, what happened this morning or, or what happened 10 years ago. We think, we think about it. And um, so for me, that was, that was air, that commentary. And so I use that framework um, in the book and in my workshops with people. Um, the, I, you know, as I began putting the book together, I, I also um, realized that the zodiac is divided by those elements, right? There are fire months and earth months, and we keep going round and round the elemental cycle. So that's how I, I pegged the, um, the month-by-month prompt. Um, there are fire prompts and water prompts and earth prompts. And um, if you follow the, the year's worth of, of prompts, you you will have quite a bit of writing. Um, and then the other thing I kind of tucked into the book without talking about it that much, um, because I didn't want to scare people off, is that uh, there are three prompts per month, and each one is a personal, political, or planetary prompt by which I mean it gets you to think about your personal experience or your, your participation in different social groups or your um, life as, a, as an earthling, so your relationship to place, 
basically, into the non-human world. So that Ooh. is, you know, I think that's a, a package that, that um, people might want to try out. It starts in January, so it's a good time to start it up in the new year. Oh, excellent. So uh, do, do we find that on your website? It's on my website. It's on Amazon and it's in bookstores. Yep. Oh, great. And what's the title of it? The Elemental Journey of Purposeful Memoir, A Writer's Companion. Excellent. Oh, I'm going to check that out. Fantastic. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I've, I've found it is so helpful to, um, yeah, have have stimulation with stretching our writing, creative writing and, and that the elements, you know, uh, really support us so well in, in doing that and getting out of our comfort zone or the same old story, like bringing up some, right. some new material for us. So that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the online version. There's an, a okay. self-paced online course as well. Oh, great. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all on my website. Okay. What what else would you, what else feels like you would like to share with listeners about, you know, anything, really? (laughs) Um, Well, you had asked some questions about, um, uh, you know, what what a more just society and economy would look like. And... um, I was thinking about how we can really look to the natural world for inspiration on that and just look at how I always am thinking lately about how generous Mother Nature is, right? The sun shines down on all of us equally. You know, the rain falls wherever it falls. doesn't matter uh, whether it's a, a fancy gated community or, you know, the, the long side of town. So um, I think that that ethos of generosity is something that we can learn from nature. And uh, if, if we absorbed it, things would change a lot. Um, the other thing I think about a lot is uh, core, core values. And, you know, I keep coming back to the most basic one from the Ten Commandments, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? What would happen if we actually started to live out of that value? And not just in our personal life, but in our our social relationships and our relationship to the planet. I think that could really be transformative. So there's there's a lot I'd like to um, explore there. Mm. Yes, and that makes me think of the power of shared story. And it's, it's one thing that we all have individual stories running within our own private worlds and, and our family's culture, but these bigger myths that can guide the culture through challenging periods of transformation and, and really amplify people's, um, power and ability to uh, make make change in the world and a positive impact and and what what do you see as as the power of of sharing not only our personal stories but of having common myths and stories that will guide our culture into a new phase mm-hmm 
Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's been such an exciting thing of living into the uh, Internet age, right, is that we get to share our stories so much more widely like we're doing right now. Um, and so in the old days, there were, um, you know, a few master narratives that were very powerful. And right now, we, we, it's been, there's been this very welcome opening up to many more voices. And, you know, so m- many people have the ability to share globally, you know. So how exciting is that? I, I have been very um, energized by um, some of the global conversations that I've been able to participate in where I'm really trying to seek out kindred spirits and um, I'm finding them all over the world. You know, I may not know somebody in my in my own neighborhood who is interested in, um, you know, like you said, managing planetary collapse in a in a sustainable way, but I can find somebody in South Africa to talk to about it. You know, so I think it's a really exciting time to be living in, and um, a lot of that has to do with how we're able to share our stories and shape the broader consciousness, you know, we, we really can have an impact beyond our own little personal spheres or our own little neighborhoods like you're doing. Yes. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It's so incredible to really uh, find, find those connections. And I, that's why I love the metaphor of the butterfly and that we are going through this metamorphosis and, you know, that the caterpillar inside its cocoon dissolves and these imaginal cells start to connect and activate and then they basically connect to build the the butterfly within the chrysalis and I feel like as I connect with people on the show it is that feeling of um, camaraderie and and supportiveness and uh, and just that we are um, emerging into something that doesn't have necessarily form or even words to accurately describe the potential of, of humankind right now Mhm. I agree. It's an exciting time. It's it's scary, but exciting, you know. Um and that yeah, the butterfly image keeps coming up. I think we we are in this time. I mean, the the scary thing about the the that metaphor is um the breakdown, right? I mean, the caterpillar goes into that cocoon and breaks down. So there is that, you know, we may have to live through that. But then the reward is the butterfly. So we can, we can, I, I think that the more we focus on envisioning the butterfly stage, you know, what we want to emerge, um, and the more different articulations of that are made and shared, the more powerful that emerging consciousness will be. So I, I think we need to, you know, in the mainstream media, um, that we see so much about dystopia playing out, right? There's so many horror stories that are being imagined in in fictional, science fictional kind of ways. I think we need to counter that with positive stories. And that's something that I'm I'm actively working on. And in my um, teaching of young people, I really, um, you know, I'm not interested in um, fear-mongering, uh, at the same time, I am interested in being realistic, and we're in a difficult place. Um, but 
I want to I want to come together and envision what could be and what we want to be, and um, that's what I've been putting my energy into lately. Mm. So fascinating because you work with the older generation and their memoirs and then teaching at the college with the the younger uh, generation. And I'm curious what, you know, differences uh, you may like to point out and the importance of intergenerational exchange and storytelling to build more understanding between the generations. I think it's a very difficult time for young people. So, uh, you know, we're encountering at, at uh, many institutions uh, up, uptick in anxiety and depression, you know, all kinds of issues that young people are having that, um, you know, I think it's this general malaise in the world that they're picking up on. And, of course, they're so cued into um, the media, social media and, and their screens. Um, so they, they're awash, in, you know. The, the fears of our time and it is affecting them. So that is a challenge in working with young people. Um, but I think it's very helpful for them to um, get, a, get a better sense of history. And that's something that um, I don't think our schools are particularly good at is um, teaching history. I know at my institution, we don't have a history requirement. So it's sort of hit or miss what kind of history they're going to get. Um, and so so when there are opportunities for young people to come together with older people and just share stories I, and to to learn about um the resilience of older people and what you know what they've had to live through and how they've come through it i think it's incredibly valuable and of course it's always really energizing for the older folks too for many years i i directed a um annual festival of women writers and that was one of the things we always did was to bring young people and older older people together to share i think we need more opportunities for that Right. I feel like that uh, authentic sharing brings, uh, you know, both a sense of belonging for people and how how they fit into the weave of society and and coherence into not only their own story through telling it and finding that coherence between their um <clears throat> their uh, experience, but also in in the field between the generations that we do need to work together. And there's so much judgment and projections about what's expected of millennials or, you know, how the baby boomers are this. And and I find like so much of it is so divisive. And and when we can, uh, as, as the natural tribal way is for the elders to be with the youth and for both of them to feel heard and seen and, and create greater understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about with my the book I'm working on now, which is, you mentioned called uh, World Rights, um, is about initiation. And um, I think one of the problems that we have in our society is, is a lack of initiation, a lack of, um, you know, the, in, in um, tribal cultures and traditional cultures, the elders led initiations. It wasn't like kids going off on their own to figure things out which is basically what we have now. Um, so that's something I, I think, you know, we ought to, we ought to be working on is um, what would be, what would make sense 
for our time in terms of um, meaningful initiations that really uh, grounded young people in, in their culture and in the positive aspects of their culture and called on them to step powerfully into their potential as emerging leaders in our culture and, you know, to sort of come together around core values and a, and a shared vision of, of what kind of society we want to build together. And to, for, for older people, I mean, I, somebody my age has to accept um, quite a bit of uh, responsibility for where we are now. And that was part of my process in my memoir was, yeah, you know, I, I lived in this unconscious way and I, 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 um, I've, I've been part of the problem, right? So acknowledging that and then, uh, well, how can I go on and live my life to be part of the solution and make things better and make things right? Mm. That would be an initiation for an older person, I think. Mm. Thanks for speaking to initiation. I feel like that's also so important uh, to just bring greater level of maturity and self-knowing and and surrender to these bigger forces um, that that can really, like you said, help people be, become uh, the leaders they're meant to be. And and uh, we really are missing this in in the culture. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I, so I love the word regenerative too. Uh, Joe Brewer talks about the regenerative culture and this kind of, you know, feeling of um, regenerating what, what has been decaying and, and that natural life force that does uh, bring us into um, a new form and, uh, and really feel that is significant. Um what what are closing thoughts you'd like to leave our uh, listeners with? Any inspiration, suggestions, uh, key messages that you have for listeners? Well, I think if anyone you know is interested in actually trying out the practice of purposeful memoir, um, first of all, you you don't need to invest a huge amount of time in it. What I do in my workshops is um, five minute focus free writes or at most 10 minutes. And it's amazing how much you can get out in five or 10 minutes of writing if you focus. And, um, and I, I really try to emphasize that you don't, need to have, you don't need to have everything figured out. You just need to um, begin a regular practice of writing and see where it leads you. Prepare to be surprised, you know. Um, and the the journey itself is its own reward. It doesn't need to amount to anything. I think one of the problems for um, Americans is we tend to be so goal-oriented. So if there's no goal, we don't want to bother. So in this case, the process is the goal, right? Just, just to engage with it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm really interested in what people will find if they try to uh, actively relate their personal experience with their experience in uh, groups, so family, community, uh, nation, and then globe, you know, and then relate, again, back to the personal experience and relate it to uh, landscape, physical environment, and um, the the broader non-human world. So in, in an exercise, I might ask people to Step out 
outside the door of a childhood home and just look around what was there you know what was what was outside your your door and it in my case you know i grew up like i said in manhattan in my case well there were pigeons out there there were sparrows even though i grew up in a concrete environment there was still nature there and um we can we can, can we can revisit our connections with nature as children and then see how those have carried on in our lives and uh, remind ourselves that we are a part of nature every breath we take we're we're breathing in the 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 breath of trees right so um reminding ourselves of our interconnectedness uh, i think is a really important even though we're working on our own individual stories at every step of the way we're we're connected and that's part of that journey that I'd like people to to explore. Hmm. Thank you Jennifer for weaving the connections as you do between people's own personal lives and ancestors, their connection with place, their connection with other women and other people, and just really creating a coherent narrative that uh, will sustain us and nourish us. And uh, like you said, the, the goal is the process and finding the, the joy and the awakening that, that can come through a really uh, writing process at least for me i've i've found that for sure uh people have different ways of accessing that but i love your call for curiosity and uh wonder uh is is what i heard you speaking to there of inviting people to to try it out for short bursts of time and just get really creative with their writing. So thank you. Um, if anyone is interested in Jennifer's work, go ahead and check out her um, webpage, Jennifer Brody, B-R-O-W-D-Y dot com. And uh, you can find those writing prompts and her memoirs and information about upcoming uh, classes there. So thanks again for sharing your wisdom, Jennifer, with all of us today. for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve. 